Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I want to welcome you guys here. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, there it is. Thank you. It took you a second. That's all right. We got there. Uh, I want to welcome you. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. So excited to have you. Uh, as Kevin said, I am the student ministry pastor. My name is Clint Edinger. And uh, I can tell by how many people were, are in here this morning that you guys did not know ahead of time that the student ministry pastor was speaking this morning. So thank you for not letting that news get out. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning with us. Uh, like Kevin said, uh, I'm the student ministry pastor. I'm so excited to be here at Kensington. I've been here for, I guess, about six weeks now. Um, and, uh, and it's been awesome. I've loved getting to come in and be part of this Kensington team and, and join the Kensington family. I love student ministry. I've been in student ministries for, I guess, a little over 10 years now. I know what you're thinking. You look way too young to be in ministry 10 years. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I started in youth ministry when I was 19. That was my first job as a, as a youth pastor. And uh, God, this is something that God's called me to. He called me when I was a teenager in high school to do student ministry. And that's the track that my life has been on ever since. And so I love it. And I'm just going to do a shameless youth ministry plug here. If you have students grades 6 through 12, and they are not plugged into our student ministry, I want to let you know we have some awesome opportunities for them to be plugged in. We have our middle schoolers meet on Sunday mornings during the second service from 11 to 12. They are meeting this morning. We have some awesome volunteers that are going to lead that while I'm in here. We have a great team. Um, we just, on Sunday mornings, man, we get together, we have some fun, we talk about Jesus for a little bit, and then we get to know each other a little bit better. And it's a great place for uh, middle schoolers to come and, and have a place to plug into church. And then during the weekdays for our high schoolers on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.30, at our 246 facility, which is in Winter Garden, uh, we meet together there during the weeks. And it's, again, it's an awesome time. We have a great group of students. We get together. We have some fun, play some ping pong, eat some pizza, and, uh, and again, talk about Jesus and get to know each other a little bit better. So I think we have some amazing things going on here in the form of student ministries. So if you have students that aren't plugged in yet, I want to encourage you. I want to personally invite you to come check us out. Come meet me. Come talk to me. Um, and, and I would love to get you plugged in or get you more information. So over the last couple of weeks, we have been on this new series called Road Trip. Uh, and, and the first week of this series, we looked at a stop in Jesus' life as we've been journeying with him where he was called to the desert to go be tempted. And, and Kevin kind of went over the temptations that Jesus faced while he was in the desert and how we also get tempted because every one of us faces temptation every single day. And so he kind of showed us how Jesus got tempted and how we get tempted. And then at the end of that message, he challenged us as a church to read through the Gospels throughout this series. And I hope you guys have joined in on that challenge. For me, it's been great. I love reading through the Gospels. You can't read through them enough. Um, it, it's life-giving and life-changing every time I read the words of Jesus. And if you didn't join in on that challenge, don't worry. It's not too late. You can still jump in. Um, we have a group on Facebook that's kind of journeying together as we read through the Gospels. And we have uh, somebody posted in that group that if you have the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, there is a reading plan on there by the Gospel or by the Bible Project, uh, which is an amazing organization. They do great stuff uh, helping you understand the Bible, and they have a reading 
reading plan that started on July 8th that will take you through the Gospels by the end of this series. So even if you haven't started, I want to encourage you to start that reading plan. It's like a devotional. They have videos that break down exactly what you're reading and what's going on. So if this is your first time reading through the Gospels, I want to encourage you to join that. And you're only a few days behind. Take your Sunday, catch up, you'll be good to go. So I hope you guys are doing that with us. And then last week, uh, Kevin talked about uh, going from being a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus and what that looks like and and what it means to be a fan or a follower. And we looked at the story of a man named Nicodemus who started as a fan and ended up as a follower. And so this week, um, this is our third week, and we're going to be talking about bringing people to Jesus. And the way I'm defining that this morning is bringing the truth of who Christ is to somebody, whether it's through sharing or inviting somebody to a place where they can experience the truth of who Christ is, whether that's church or small group or uh, a men's meeting or, or whatever it is. Bringing people to Jesus is just bringing them to a place where they can experience the truth of who Christ is or you personally um, giving that to somebody. And, and here at Kensington, that's a big part of our DNA and who we are. Our mission statement is everyone transformed and mobilized for Jesus. And that one is in parentheses. And what that means is we care about the ones who aren't here yet. We care about the ones who are lost. We care about the ones who don't know Jesus yet. That's, that's a big part of why we exist and why we're here. Um, there's some parables that you'll read through as you read through the Gospels about a shepherd who had 99 sheep, but one got lost, and so he left the 99 to go find that one. Or a lady who turned up her whole house to go find one coin, right? And that's a symbol of what we do. We are going after the one. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And, uh, and so these guys that we're going to be talking about, they cared about the one, but as they were trying to bring him to Jesus, they, they encountered some barriers. And so we're going to talk about those barriers that they encountered and that they had to get over and, and how Jesus responded and what happened when they finally did overcome those barriers. And, and one of the reasons I love this story is because it kind of relates to my story. Um, I, I feel this deep in my soul. Um, so just a little bit about me. I did not grow up in church. All right? I did not come from a church family. Um, I think my mom brought me to church like one time when I was like 10 years old, um, but that was it. That's all I knew of church until I was a teenager. Um, and I grew up in a divorced family, so a broken home, broken family. Um, on my dad's side, there was a long history of anger and abuse. Um, my dad's dad was an angry, abusive guy. My dad was an angry, abusive guy, and so my brother and I went through a lot of that growing up. And one day, my dad decided, hey, we're going to start going to church, right? And so that was weird to hear from him. Um, and then it was like our first times going to church, and, uh, and I just thought it was super weird. They kept talking about lamb's blood all the time, and I was like, this is a cult. Why are we here? And, uh, and so it was a weird thing. And, uh, and, and at that time in my life, I was a teenager, eighth grade, going into ninth grade, and I was angry. I was an angry kid. I felt alone. I felt sad. I didn't know who to talk to about the things that I was going through. Um, and so that's kind of where I was. And some circumstances happened, and I ended up making a friend in my neighborhood. And we, got, we became really close really fast. His name was Mike. And um, one night, I spent the night at his house. And we're just talking, we're up late, you know, it's 2 a.m., we're playing video games, as teenagers do when they spend the night, and, um, and we're complaining about our dads, ah, oh, my dad this, my dad that, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my dad makes me go to church, it's so weird, they talk about lamb's blood, I don't understand it, and I just remember clear as day, he just stopped and he was like, well, are you saved? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't even know what that means, like, what does it mean to be saved? 
And he just explained it in really simple terms. He's like, well, it's just, you know, believing in Jesus, believing that he died and rose again, and, and following him. And I just sat there and I was like, huh, I think I could do that. And so from then on, he really encouraged me to go to church. He started going to that church with me, even though he already had a church he was going to. He cared that I had a good time where I went, so he went with me. And eventually that church got a new youth pastor. And he was awesome. He's still a mentor of mine to this day, as a matter of fact. And he just invested in us. He cared about us. He showed me a level of care and investment from a male role model that I had not previously seen. And, and at all points, him and my friend just kept pointing me back to Jesus. And it changed the path that my life was on. I have no idea where I'd be today if, if those two didn't care about me enough to keep bringing me to Jesus. And so that, that's why I love this, this story that we're going to get into today. Because we're going to talk about how that can change somebody's life. But before we dive in, I want to set the scene for you guys. Because when I read through scripture, it's important for me to like imagine what's happening. I don't know about you guys, but I, just when I stare at words on a page, it's boring. So I like to imagine what's going on, right? So in a road stop before the one we're getting to today, Jesus is in this town. And this is at the end of Mark chapter 1. And he meets this guy who has leprosy, which is this skin disease. It's, you know, pretty gross. And back then it was super stigmatized. They had all the people with leprosy, like, had their own part of the town that, like, nobody else would go to. It's like, oh, you have leprosy? Bye. You know, and, like, they were just kind of left to fend for themselves. And so Jesus meets this guy who has leprosy, and he heals him. And uh, he's, he sits him down and he says, look, don't tell anybody I did this, okay? Just give the credit to God. Go to the temple, you know, do your offer, your offering like you're supposed to, and, and just give the glory to God. So what does this guy do? Of course, he tells every person he sees, Jesus did it. That guy healed me. Look, he's over there. He's so cool. I had leprosy. You guys know me. My skin was all crazy, and now I'm healed, right? So he immediately goes and tells everybody that Jesus did this miraculous healing. And then uh, in verse 45, it goes on to say that large crowds soon surrounded Jesus. So he became like a rock star. Like he's, you know, Mick Jagger and Tom Cruise rolled into one. Everybody wants to come see this dude. He's doing miraculous healings. They want to know what he's about. Out what he's saying and, and if they and if he can heal them right and it goes on to say that he couldn't publicly enter a town because like if he did it would have been gridlock like nobody would have been able to take their donkeys anywhere right like it would have been locked up and uh and so so he had to stay in secluded places like places that were kind of off the beaten path a little bit and even there people were finding him and so that's where we kind of drop in we're starting in chapter two in the book of mark here Jesus is now very popular because he's doing uh, miraculous things and healing people. And so let's take a look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 should come up on the screen here for you. Starting in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them. So we're at standing room only in this house, right? Like people are packed in like sardines. They're breathing on the back of each other's neck. It's hot. I'm sure there's some body odor in there. It's got to be gross. There's no AC. Like this is, you know, some first century stuff. I would not have wanted to be in that house personally. I might have gotten anxiety and tried to leave. Um, so that's, it's crowded. As a matter of fact, it's so crowded that you can't hear or see Jesus from the door. It's so packed in. Like people are just surrounding this place. It is packed in there. And we're going to, and then comes in, in the next part of these verses that we're going to read, there's these four guys, they come on the scene, and they're carrying another guy on a mat. 
And the, the scripture doesn't specifically say, hey, these guys are friends. But I would imagine they're friends because it would be weird for like four guys to randomly pick up a paralyzed man and just carry him somewhere. So I'm imagining they at least know each other and are probably friends. And, uh, and based on what we will read, I, again, I'll consider them friends. These four guys cared about the man they were helping and they knew Jesus could help him. And one of the great things about this story is that it wasn't easy. These friends encountered some barriers that they had to overcome on the paralyzed man's behalf in order to get him to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I talk about bringing people to Jesus, I face barriers all the time. Um, and so we're going to read these barriers in verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to unpack them together. So the words will be up on the screen, starting Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. All right, so let's take a look at these barriers that are in these verses and sort of break them down. The first barrier that I see to bringing someone to Jesus is it requires inconvenience. It requires inconvenience. These four guys had to physically pick up this man on this mat. And I don't know if you've ever carried just dead weight before, but it's not easy. And I'm assuming this mat probably didn't have like some nice easy carry handles, right? Like they're just like straight forearm gripping this mat. It's probably like trying to slip out of their hands, right? They ended up being late, so there's no room. Like they can't get to Jesus because it's so packed. They had, to, they had to pick him up, and so they, you know, they're late. They're not there in enough time to get in the building. And then they had to get him up on a roof, Right? So that's a logistical challenge in and of itself. And then on top of that, they had to dig a hole through said roof. Right? And then they had to lower him down, like Mission Impossible style. Right? So they lower him down in front of Jesus. Getting other people to Jesus is often not an easy task that just fits right into our day. I don't know about you guys, but most of the time, most days, if I'm being honest, I'm just trying to, like, get through my day and get back home. I am not naturally an extrovert, even though sometimes I put that off. It's just the caffeine. Um, And so for me, most days, I'm just trying to be like, all right, I'm waking up. I'm going to work. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to do a great job at work. So says Kevin. And then, uh, and then afterwards, maybe I go to the gym and I got my headphones in. I'm not even trying to really make eye contact with anybody, right? I'm just trying to get it in that and get out. And then maybe I got to go to the grocery store on my way home because Kirsten, my wife, uh, is calling me like, hey, we need some chicken for dinner. So I'm trying to go to the grocery store real quick. And while I'm there, I'm not trying to have a conversation with the person checking me out. I'm not trying to have a conversation with the other people in line. I'm trying to avoid the person uh, who's in aisle six that's too short to read the top shelf. I'm like going around that person right because they're going to ask me to reach for it like i'm trying to avoid all contact and just go boom 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 and all right i made it home i didn't have to inconvenience myself i didn't have to be uncomfortable and talk to somebody i don't know right or or like for example most of you guys going to work tomorrow uh and and you see somebody you work with you go hey hey how's it going what's the answer we're looking for oh i'm good yeah i'm good how are you doing right We do not want to actually know how they're doing. Like, don't, please don't unload some story from your weekend about your drama with your family. Like, I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear, good, how are you doing? Exchange some pleasantries and then get back to my cubicle or my office or wherever, right? We don't actually want to know because it would be inconvenient to have to listen and actually care about somebody else. That's inconvenient. It takes time out of my day. It's not something I've planned for. 
To, to, to stop and, and listen to another person and actually care about their circumstances or, or what they're going through? And let's face it, our convenience is important to us. I mean, it, it permeates our culture, right? Like, think about the day and age that we live in where just about everything is built for our convenience. You can pretty much run your world from your phone, right? Like, there's smart homes. I can order food from my phone. We have this thing called Uber Eats. Have you guys done Uber Eats before? It's amazing. I don't, not only do I not have to cook myself food, I don't have to go pick it up either. I can tip on the app, and that way when the guy comes to drop off my food, I can just grab it, close my door, and go back inside and eat, right? Like, everything is built for my convenience. But if we want to get people to Jesus, it takes us getting outside of our comfort zone and suffering some inconvenience. It takes that. It is difficult to pick somebody up and walk with someone who's crippled by addiction or paralyzed by fear or so broken that they can't move from where they're at. That's difficult and inconvenient. It takes time and effort and an investment on our part that goes beyond what happens in a typical day for us. So the first barrier that we have to get past if we want to bring people to Jesus is our own convenience. The next barrier that we have to get past if we want to bring people to Jesus is that it requires persistence. These guys got to the house where Jesus was, and there was no way in. It was packed. Uh, people were so packed in that there was no way to squeeze through. Like, they couldn't be like, oh, excuse me, and people like shuffle. There was no shuffling room, right? Like, they were packed in there. But they didn't let a, sit, a setback stop them. They made their own way in, Right? They had to start dismantling a roof. And if we want to get people to Jesus, it will often require some persistence on our part. See, one of the things I love about this place, and, and as I was talking to Kevin going through the hiring process, is that this church is an invitational church. We exist to be inviting people in. Right? Like we're not just us and our four walls. We want to invite people in. We want you guys to be inviting people here on a Sunday morning. And I love that. It's a big part of what we do. But if I'm going to be honest, because I like being honest, for me, what happens a lot is like I'll invite somebody, hey man, you should come to church this weekend. It's so much fun. It's awesome. We sing songs that like aren't just worship songs, right? And uh, it's like the big selling point. And, uh, and they'll be like, oh man, I would love to come to church with you, but I can't. You know, I'm busy this weekend or whatever. Or maybe they're just like, ah, you know, that sounds great. And, and you do your thing, like, you know, praise God, whatever. But I don't really do the church thing, right? And at that point, I will be like, all right, cool, man. You know, no pressure. Uh, see ya. And I will just dust my hands off and that'll be it, right? Like I did, I did it. I, I invited the person. I did the thing. Like I'm good. I don't have to do any more, right? Like that's all that's required of me. And that happens to me a lot. And, you know, when I face failure or rejection, a lot of times I'll just give up and be like, okay, they don't want to come. They're busy. That's fine. They'll come another time. Maybe they won't. I don't know. It's somebody else's problem now. But persistence has power. And, and we have a video this morning of a guy named Mike Staff. And it, in this video, we will see the power that persistence had in his life. Um, but before we get to that video, our ushers are going to come down real quick, and we're going to have a time of offering. 
Um, and if you're new here, if this is your first time here, we want you to let this offering just pass you by. This morning is a gift to you. Um, we don't want anybody to feel like they have to give or feel pressured to give. Um, but if you are somebody who's part of the Kensington family, um, we want to thank you for your generosity and your faithful giving because it allows us to do what we do here. Um, and speaking as the student ministry, I love having a student ministry budget, um, which doesn't happen at every church. So thank you guys so much for what you do. And as that continues to go on, we're going to start this video, and I want you guys to see how persistence played a role in Mike Staff's life. Well, I uh, was raised in a, a pretty strict denominational church. It was definitely boring. Um, it was very ritualistic. You know, I didn't really get anything out of it other than um, God is watching you, and he knows what you're up to, and because of it, if you don't follow our rules, you're going to go to hell forever. And so I didn't really have a great uh, church experience. When I was old enough to bail, I couldn't get out fast enough. As long as I can remember, I wanted to be a DJ on the riff. I mean, it's all I ever wanted. So all the way through high school, I knew I wanted to be on the radio. Um, when I graduated, I went to broadcasting school here in Detroit. And uh, I mean, I was absolutely focused on being a rock and roll DJ. After graduating from broadcasting school at 18, I jumped around to a couple small market radio stations. And uh, then finally, when I was 23, I got the call I'd been waiting for my entire life. And I was offered the dream job. And I was at Riff for 14 years, from 1992 to 2006. Everything that rocks is on the Riff, a 101 WRIF Detroit. It was like my work was play. And even when I was in the studio, it was just such a blast to be able to play music for a living and then to be able to interact with the listeners calling in. It was a really cool job. But I, there was this nagging inside of me that there just must be something more, you know. Um, about this time, my buddy Dan invited me to Kensington. Every time I would talk to him, he would invite me to church, and I kept saying no. And he probably invited me 40 or 50 times. I'm not kidding. And finally, I just out of despair, I said, listen, dude, I will go only if you promise to never invite me again. I just, I just want to get you to shut up, okay? So he agreed. Uh, walking in was a different experience. It was not what I expected. I noticed it from the get-go. Uh, people were more like my age. I actually saw some people that I knew and I was really surprised. I'm like, wow, they're going to church, that's weird. Um, we got a cup of coffee and it was really good coffee. And so we walk into the auditorium and the auditorium wasn't like anything that I had ever seen before. In fact, I was sitting in this very seat the very first time we came here. And um, I was amazed looking at the stage, all the sound and lights, and then the, the band comes out on stage, and then they ripped into the opening riff of Cashmere from Led Zeppelin, and it was just mind-blowing. And Dave Wilson, one of the founding pastors, came out and gave this awesome talk about how we belong somewhere and we belong with God. Let God begin to change your life like you've never thought possible. It really resonated with me. I mean, I had tears running down my face and I just couldn't, couldn't figure out what had just happened. The night that I actually came to Faith in Christ was a men's night here at Kensington. I went with my buddies. My friends and I were just talking about this idea of Jesus being the Son of God and the implications of that. And um, I was driving home and um, I said it out loud before I, I even recognized that I thought it. And I said, Jesus, I know you're real. And 
I want you in my life. And I just pulled over and prayed. And um, ever since, I've just really felt the presence of God with me. I can't imagine what my life would be right now if I hadn't had a place that I could go to to meet an authentic Jesus. And not only that, I can't even imagine what my family legacy would be like. I can't imagine who my daughters would be right now if it wasn't centered in Christ. And I'm so thankful for my buddy that didn't give up on me and invited me 40 or 50 times. And then to be able to come to a place that was creating um, a service that was for a guy like me. So persistence played a big role in Mike Staff's story. His friend essentially annoyed him to church. <laughs> and I'm not above it, okay? If you have to annoy somebody to church, then you do what you got to do, all right? But if his friend stops inviting him, even after like three or four times, which I would probably do, to be honest with you, he probably doesn't go. And like he said, like, where's his family at if he doesn't go? Where's he at if he doesn't make that step and finally go? So persistence has power. If, if these guys carrying this man on a mat had saw the crowd and they're like, oh, sorry, bro, like, it's, it's busy, you know, like, you'll just have to come back another day. And, like, they drop him off there or they bring him back to his spot. You know, maybe he never see, gets to Jesus. Who knows? Right? And sometimes it takes a little creativity Sometimes persistence requires creativity. These guys, they saw this crowd and they're like, okay, well, that's, that's not a way we can get in. We got to go here through the roof. Like, let's get this thing done. And sometimes people will turn you down and turn you down for a Sunday morning. You say, hey, look, come to this, come to this small group with me. You know, come to, this, come to this meeting. I'm hanging out with some buddies from church. Come to that, right? Or, or hey, we're going to go serve. We're going to go do this thing and help some people out. It's not church. We're just going to go help some people. Will you come with me to that? Right? Like sometimes getting people to Jesus requires a little bit of creativity and a whole lot of persistence. And the last barrier to bringing people to Jesus is that it requires us to have a reckless love. Let's imagine this scene. Jesus is in this house. It's packed full. Everybody is there to hear him speak. They want to see this miraculous healer who speaks with authority from the scriptures. They are there to see this guy and hear him. It is probably quiet as a church mouse in there as, he, as Jesus is speaking. And all of a sudden you hear, right? And you're like, where is that noise coming from? And all of a sudden like little particles start falling from the roof on people's heads and everybody, like the whole service is stopped at that point, right? Like nobody's paying attention to Jesus. They're all looking at the roof. Jesus is probably looking at the roof like what is going on? And all of a sudden, a hole opens up in the roof, light bursts in, and you just see four heads up there, right? And they're just like, oh, we did it. And, uh, and can, can you imagine some of the looks that those guys had gotten when they put that hole in that roof? Man, somebody's grandma was mad in that place, right? Like, you were getting some dirty looks for putting a hole and interrupt. He interrupted the whole service and put a hole in somebody's roof. Like, they are getting some dirty looks, Right? And I can't, I can't imagine the embarrassment of that moment, right? The, the looks from other people, what was, you know is going on through their minds, the fact that you just like had to actually put a hole in another person's roof, the embarrassment and everything else they had to overcome, they must have really cared about this guy. They must have really, really cared 
whether or not he got to Jesus. And, and that requires a love for others that pushes past what happens to us. To, to get people to Jesus, it often requires a love that pushes us past the idea of embarrassment, of bringing up Christ or Jesus in a situation where it doesn't seem to quite fit, but you know it's important. And you're like, ah, oh, if I do this and people don't think I'm weird, right? Like, I'm always the guy who's avoiding being weird. Like, I'm, I constantly do it, but I'm always trying to avoid it. Like, I don't want to be the weird guy. I just want to blend in, right? I just want to, I want to be kind of cool, but not super cool, but also not super lame. Like, I just want to avoid embarrassment and, and all the attention. And, um, but, but sometimes to get people to Jesus, it will require a love that pushes past that or pushes past the feeling of rejection that deters me all the time. That's more than just checking off a, a checkbox on your Christian checklist, right? That's a love that requires more than just saying like, well, I asked one person today, like I'm good to go, Jesus loves me today, and I'll, I'll check back on my list tomorrow, right? Like that kind of love is, is more than just the checklist. That, that's a love for other people birthed by a relationship with Jesus. It's a love that's being willing to interrupt yours and others' lives, with your love for them, knowing that they need to get to Jesus. So these friends overcome every obstacle that comes their way. And I, I don't think there was any obstacle they could have faced that day that would have stopped them. I don't think there was anything that could have been thrown in front of them that they would not have found a way around to get their friend to Jesus. And so they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. And what does he do with that? We're going to read the rest of Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. This is what it says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus returned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Jesus responds by healing this man. But first, before he heals his body, he heals their broken relationship. Right? Jesus heals the broken relationship between this man and God. And then he gives them the ability to walk. One of my favorite parts about this whole story, this whole passage, is right at the beginning of verse 5. And you can skip over it if you're not looking for it. It says, seeing their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Your faith makes an impact on the people around you. Your faith in Jesus and what he can do might be enough to help someone else receive salvation. When that happens, when somebody receives Christ, people's lives are changed, like mine or like Mike Staff's. And, and when that happens, people notice, other people notice, glory goes to God. And the church, we celebrate I love baptisms. I love when we do baptisms because it's a celebration of what God's done in people's lives. 
The angels in heaven celebrate every time a son or a daughter returns home. So my question for you today is what barriers are you willing to overcome? What is it that stops you from inviting people and getting others in front of Jesus? Here's what I want all of us to do this morning. If you got a, a pen and something to write on, I want you to write something. If you don't have anything to write with, I'm allowing you to take out your phones. It's okay. You can have your phone out in church. Write it in your phone. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a second right now and think of one person in your life who just needs to be in front of Jesus. Just one person who you know, man, this person, I need to get them in front of Jesus. And I want you to write that name down. Write it in your phone. Write it on a piece of paper. Go ahead and do that right now. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's one of your friends. Maybe it's someone from your family. Or maybe you know a couple whose marriage is on the rocks and if they could just give that relationship to Jesus, he could heal it. We usually have at least one person we know. So write that name down. And here's what I want you to do. This week, don't let this week go by. This week, invite them to church. Have the conversation that you keep avoiding. Invite them to read through the Gospels with you. There's nothing that changes people's lives like that. Or invite them to a small group or some other service project. But don't let any barriers stop you. And start trying to bring your someone in front of Jesus because he can heal and forgive and change lives. Maybe you're here today and you're the one in need of healing, forgiveness, or life change. Today can be your day. Jesus cares about you, all of you, from your physical pains to your emotional pains. But before anything else, he wants you to be free and forgiven and have a relationship with him. So what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray here in just a second. And if that's you, if you're somebody who just needs Jesus then I want you to respond right where you're at. You can use my words as a guide, but I want you to talk with Jesus in your own heart and and start that relationship this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given us to come and be together uh, as a church family. Father, I, I pray that we become people who have the courage and the boldness and the persistence to overcome the barriers that stand in the way of us bringing others to you. Because I know that there's nothing in this world that's better than a relationship with Christ. There's nothing that can heal. There's nothing that can save. There's nothing that can satisfy like you. And Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to start that this morning, Father, let, let have them pray with me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know you are real. I know that you rose from the grave. And I know that I want to follow you. So Lord, start that journey with me. Heal my soul first. Change me from the inside out. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.